I'm Jessica, and this is Homecoming, finding yourself in life's little moments. So, dear listener, I am sitting overlooking the ocean the day after the June solstice, and I'm here in Australia, so this is the shortest day, time of the year for daylight, and the ocean, even at this relatively early hour of 5.30 in the afternoon, is a dark and gray, and it's even hard to discern the horizon because dusk has truly settled in. So the podcast that I'm about to make now is about life and love and legacy and what it means to realize that we are wrought from whence we come, from the people from whom we come, and that there can be so much that we don't know about it. But I've had the extraordinary opportunity, and I feel quite, I would just say, blessed to still have my mom in my life. So she's on the other side of the world, in a bed in Vermont, 11,000 miles from where I am, on the shores of the Pacific, here in the southern coast of New South Wales, Australia. And the extraordinary thing, you know, dear listener, about technology is that you can connect across these miles. But there is also something about the human touch. So it's extraordinary. You know, there's a paradox in all this because you feel close and yet you know that there's a closeness that you long for even beyond that that comes through the human touch and my mom was always good on the phone (laughs) thank god about that because that's our main line of connection right now you know she always was able to just feel completely comfortable on the phone not everybody does and of course she's now 93 so she really came through an era where there were telephones, but, you know, far from what we have now where everybody carries theirs in their pocket. And, um, but she's always felt comfortable with it, you know, and we've always had an easeful connection or let's say the connection between us has always been easefully communicated by phone. So, Now I'm speaking with her by phone at this time, 2023, when she's 93. And what's extraordinary is that what I'm realizing through that connection and through our conversations, because things haven't been that easy recently, and so I'm up in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., you know how... When something's working on you, working in your consciousness and you're struggling to feel easeful, that middle of the night time is often one where you either wake up or if you've already been up, you can't fall asleep. But the amazing perk 
I would say about that is that that's becoming apparent to me is the best time to speak with her. So I'll call her at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., which is there in the United States, the East Coast, 12 p.m. or 1 p.m. in the afternoon the day before. And that's her most alert time. So it's really like I've been given this gift of something that is the balm and the antidote and the solace for what, you know, I'm moving through in my life as I make my way. So the thing about it, you know, is that um, in the conversation that I had with my mom just in the middle of last night, I was sharing something with her. And what's become apparent to me is that she won't necessarily respond directly to what it is that I'm trying to explain about my life or feelings, emotions, circumstances, you know, all of that. She'll say something that in the end makes it feel like she's actually answered this deeper need inside me. And what is our human need if not to feel loved and connected and to have meaning and to feel like your life carries through its existence, cells and psyche, the very real stuff of the people from whom you've come. So in my case, my mom was the daughter of a woman who was born in Russia, Berta, her name. And at the age of 18, my grandmother, my mom's mom, fled Russia as a Jewish person, young Jewish person, fled Russia in its very, some of its very darkest days of World War I and everything that was going on and the persecution of Jewish communities. And she made her way to the United States. And she came over at the age of 18 with nothing, no language, no English, and really no possessions. But her gift, her talent, as a seamstress, was already apparent. And when she fled Russia, she traveled south to what was then Constantinople, which was the center of the Ottoman Empire, which is now Turkey. You know, Turkey is a part of that, what was then called the Ottoman Empire. And she made her way as this young woman. She left everything. She would never see her own family, her mother and her father. She would never see them again. And unlike my situation, where I can call my mom at this distance, having emigrated likewise to a far-flung land across the seas, I can still connect with my mom 
and so what it is of my own life and legacy can become revealed to me. So when my grandmother, at the age of 17 or 18, entered into the Ottoman Empire, fleeing Russia, leaving her family, trying to find a better life, trying to escape all manner of danger and hardship, no doubt poverty. She found herself in Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. And there, her seamstress skills became useful because what happened was that by stroke of luck, providence, grace, whatever word you would like to apply to it, she encountered the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. And she also encountered a man named Henry Morgenthau, Jr. And he was the ambassador from the United States to the Ottoman Empire at that time. His family was already very well known in the United States, the Morgenthau's. His son would become Secretary of the Treasury in the United States, and his grandson would become equally notable. It was a, you know, it was a a significant family. And so my grandmother's path crossed with the paths of these two men. And they seemed to recognize her incredible skills, like already, you know, at the age of 18, if you can imagine, there she was. And so they enlisted her to make something like a fancy costume for some kind of fancy costume ball there in Constantinople, there around 17... 1917 or 1918. And so she did. And Henry Morgenthau was so impressed with her skills that he issued her a visa to the United States. And he said, go. Go and make your life. You'll do well. So with that visa in hand, she traveled to the United States by boat landed at Ellis Island where all the immigrants were processed and the gateway to New York, the gateway to the United States, the gateway to a new life. And she began. And over the course of the next years, having come with nothing, including no language, as my mother said to me last night, and I never heard her say this in quite this way, my grandmother made history. Having come with nothing, my grandmother created history. What we now know as some of the greatest theatrical costumes and productions of the 20th century. So she would begin working for the big nightclubs and the big stars and the floor shows she made the first costumes for the Radio City Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall when it opened up in 1932. She made costumes for the Copacabana, which was a very famous nightclub in New York. The Cotton Club, which was an equally as famous nightclub in New York where people 
like Lena Horne and Duke Ellington performed, and they had these amazing floor shows with beautiful women who were dressed in my grandmother's extraordinary hand-beaded costumes with huge headdresses. Equally, that's what she did for some of the very biggest Las Vegas nightclubs like the Sands Hotel and for the Moulin Rouge in Hollywood. And she was considered really one of the three biggest theatrical costumers in the United States during that period of time, which began sort of in the late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, this was her heyday. So last night when I was talking to my mom, and she said, yes, you know, your grandmother, she came to the U.S. with nothing, and she made history. Hearing my mom say that was so moving to me because my mom also added, she said, you know, Your grandmother was really something. So she was speaking, my grandmother, you know, my mother was speaking about my grandmother both from the point of view of her being her daughter and from the point of view of someone who was aware of the impact that her own mother had and the significance that her own mother had in the course of life and culture and art and music and dance and performance in the world, you know, in the United States and in the world at that time. And my mom said to me, because it was so poignant, you know, dear listener, when you speak to your mom, you speak to a parent, you speak to someone dear to you, and you know that they're really in that sort of And I don't even like to say this, but I don't know how else to say it. Those days and months and years that are, that precede the passing of this life into the next, you hear that person reflect often in really profound ways, in deeply human ways. And my mom said to me, You know, she said, I remember, I remember mom, she said about her own mom. She said, I remember grandma, I remember her showing me pictures of these costumes that she'd made and she was so proud of them. Indeed, in my own life, you know, my grandmother would always say that she was the only woman in America who had made a hundred thousand costumes and you'd always think, Was this really hyperbole? Was this some exaggeration? But you see, now I know that it wasn't an exaggeration. Now I know that it was true. And last night at 2 a.m. here, on the phone with my mom, she was saying, you know, your grandmother one afternoon was showing me these pictures of costumes that she just made. And mom said to me, my mom said to me on the phone, she said, I really regret, Jesse, that I wasn't more laudatory about what she'd accomplished and how proud she was. You see, dear friends, this is where the personal and the grand and the historic 
and where everything comes down to the marrow of who we are and of our deepest connections to each other. And when my mom said that to me, she said, you know, I'd never hear her to say that, such a personal reflection like that and regret because my mom's life wasn't that easy. She was growing up as an only child, the daughter of a woman who was extremely successful. And it wasn't easy for my mom. I know that. And my mom said to me, you know, I regret that I wasn't more laudatory more congratulatory to your grandma when she showed me these beautiful costumes that she was so proud of. You see, dear friends, whatever happens in this world, it comes down to those moments where we touch each other or we might regret that we haven't touched each other. It's like we exist in this space and in the course of my own life and in these conversations with my mother it's like history and the personal there's this confluence between the two it's one thing and my mom said to me that's our legacy you know that's that was who Tima I called her Tima because I could never say grandma when I was young and so I called her Tima and that always stuck. Everybody then all of us started to call her Tima, and then Tima became Tima. <laughs> you know, this incredible costumier, this incredible costumer. So um, I thought, wow, on the phone last night. And I felt to myself, you see, that I could feel myself in the center of that sentiment that my mom was expressing, that feeling of poignancy, the feeling that she'd wish she'd said something. I could feel myself in the center of it. And my mom, who's bedridden now, was looking at the wall in her room. And on that wall are these photos that I've sent my mom, you know, of myself and my grandma. And it's like I helped, you know, by sending these photographs, my mom now has sort of this, you know, this little gallery of images of these three generations of women, my grandma, Tima, me, myself, and then my mom. And I thought as my mom was expressing that sense of regret, I thought, I don't know how to describe it. Regret's not the right word. It is, you see, but there's something so poignant about it because she was expressing it to me. And I said to my mom, I said, you know, I have to tell you that as your daughter, I am feeling that I have to say to you how extraordinary you are. Because, you know, my mom is extraordinary. She came up through that cultural background, an artistic background with my grandmother sort of quote-unquote rubbing shoulders, literally outfitting the greatest entertainers and performers of the century, of the 20th century, and my mom grew up in that. 
Lena Horne, who was one of the most beautiful African-American performers of, of that era. You know, my mom remembers being there in the studio, my grandmother's place or workshop or studio, where at the height she had, my grandmother had 40, you know, something like 40 women working for her. I mean, this woman who had arrived with nothing from the depths of Russia to the United States, no English, no language, and built herself up to that. Within within a decade, she was already well-known by the time she was in her late 20s, my grandmother. So my mom was saying to me, you know, that... Um, that, that, was the, that was the environment that my mom grew up in. And, and I said to my mom, I said, you know, you are a beautiful, extraordinary woman. Because out of that, my mom became this incredible visionary and philosopher she had an incredible sense of what it meant to educate young people. And she went into the field of education. She got her PhD in the late 1960s as a woman, which was very unusual at that time. And her doctoral thesis, which was on the Swiss philosopher, developmental theorist Jean Piaget, was so cutting edge that the corporation that was called the Olivetti Company, which was kind of the precursor to IBM, was going to send my mom to Switzerland to meet with him. It was that cutting edge. And my mother defined herself. She didn't go into entertainment, although she was a beautiful pianist, and passed that on to me. But she went into what was pulling her, and what was pulling her was what it meant to nurture and understand the development of human life through the life of the child as that person came up through the earliest years, you know, of their existence. So that was what my mom specialized in and her, her thesis, her doctoral thesis was absolutely cutting edge she retranslated all of Jean Piaget's work from French into English because she felt the translations didn't actually really capture the spirit of this man. So she was, in that sense, she was really a self-made woman too. She created herself out of what was around her and her own passion so last night on the phone at 2 a.m., I said to her mom, I said, do you realize what you've done? You have forged a life amidst enormous adversity. She suffered in a, you know, a terrible accident just after her PhD was completed. And she wasn't able to go to Switzerland to meet with Jean Piaget. And she was trying to raise, you know, raise me and raise her family and amidst all of this and her passion never ceased for what it was that she saw 
as the essence of the human soul and what it means to nurture the human spirit. And in my own teaching, I've absorbed a lot of that because I was witnessing how she was working with young children who would come to the house to, you know, do quote-unquote remedial work with her, you know, who had quote-unquote learning challenges. And she would take these kids and just do extraordinary things with them. And she was a beautiful pianist. And there was my grandmother. So last night at 2 a.m., with my mom saying that she had this deep regret that she was never had never expressed that sense of deep appreciation to my grandmother shown her those beautiful costumes I thought you know this is this is the moment now where I tell my mom how extraordinary she is and doing so dear listener placed me squarely in the lineage of these women as the third generation down. And here, being on the other side of the world, having come over with a hundred pounds of luggage a few years ago to start a new life myself, to begin to weave all of these influences into something that would emerge now through music and voice and my love of the human spirit and what it means to likewise nurture that through my own teaching and through this very medium that I'm speaking to you on, you know, these podcasts and through my videos and the music and the songs that I now sing through the voice. The voice was never something that featured. My mom wasn't a singer. My grandmother wasn't either. My dad was. But I feel a little bit like I'm sort of inventing the wheel in this lineage of extraordinary women because I've discovered my own voice. And I'm realizing that the voice can shift reality and the music can shift reality. I say to my students, I say, you're You're like a little superhero because in those tones that you're creating on the keyboard, in those beautiful melodies that you're creating that are emerging from your fingers there spontaneously, I said, you are morphing reality. And I had a mom sitting on the couch yesterday while her little son was creating these melodies with me. And she said, this is the most beautiful thing. I feel like it's healing me. And I looked at her little son and I said, can you believe that, what you're doing? You see, it's true that you're a superhero. Look at the effect you're having on your own mother. And this is only your second lesson. (laughs) He sort of smiled with this funny, quizzical smile like... (laughs) Is this a piano? You know, he, I mean, he was just such a delight. You know, it was sort of, it was a kind of sense of pride that he didn't expect to have. <laughs> that didn't really fall into any sort of category. You know, it wasn't exactly like he'd just gotten an A on a 
math test or something in school, he'd actually healed his mother through his music. You know, he'd helped her, his own mother feel better. And that's what happened last night for me, dear listener, when I was talking to my mom. I felt myself be able to express my deep appreciation for her and what and who she is and what she's accomplished and who she's come from, my grandmother and this extraordinary lineage of the most amazing aesthetic and artistic and cultural and creative richness. So you see, dear friends, we... You know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. You've ever heard that expression? I think we all do one way or another. And I think in the middle of that, in the marrow of that, in the center of that, are those moments when we can say thank you. You're extraordinary. And you can congratulate that person and say, I see you, and because of you, my life has become something. In some small way, tiny way, or grand way, we carry these threads from whence we've come. And in those tiny moments when you might see someone or feel someone, their presence in your life, And maybe that person isn't even related to you. It's just someone you feel connected to. And you can say, thank you. Who you are is extraordinary. So to share all this with you, dear friends, I reflect back on the feeling of my grandma who used to come and visit on the weekends and take me down to the park and swing with me on the swings and say yesy in her Russian, thick Russian accent, which she never lost, and whom I now realize really led an extraordinary life, who came with nothing and, as my mother said, created history. And I can thank my mother who survived her own hardships to try and make this world a better place, to bring to young people her understanding of what it really means to grow and to become the person that's there inside of them to liberate that spirit and her music, which is always the center of her life. And she always says to me, she said, Jess, You'll always have your music, no matter what. And she'd say to me, we live in that world, she says to me, and you know, we live together in that world. And I put my grandmother in that world too. We all live together in that world. So, dear friends, I'm reflecting on this and feeling the spirits of what's come to me. And sharing them with you is a great joy and a very poignant feeling as well. So with that, I bid you adieu, say bye for now, and warmest wishes now and always.